Good morning. See everybody that's present this morning. We have some visiting with us. Glad that you are here. Some have been gone, and now you're back. Glad, glad you're with us, and we have some that are now out of town. We pray for them and their safe return. And so it's good we come together. Beautiful fall morning, and uh, we can be together and worship the Lord together. <clears throat> Title of our lesson this morning, Do You Know Any Nuns? Cameron asked me, he said, are those Catholic nuns? <laughs> No, this is N-O-N-E, so for anybody that listens to this recording, that's N-O-N-E-S, nuns. And I'll explain that as we go along this morning. Religious nuns, fastest growing segment in religion in the United States. And I'll explain that as we go along as you take a look at various uh, like Pew Research, which I was taking a look at. Oftentimes... In this country now, people are listing themselves as their religious affiliation as none. And so nuns is not a part of God's plan. I want to emphasize and we'll clarify this as we go along, hopefully. So there's three points that we're going to take a look at. Spiritual hunger and then creation and sin and then God's answer. So I'll pull up that first slide there for spiritual hunger. So as we read this morning in our scripture reading from Matthew, the 16th chapter, Jesus comes into the area of Caesarea Philippi. He's been into his ministry for a while now. His disciples are there with him, and he asks them this question, who do men say that I am? After they've had a time to see me, hear me, what are are they saying about me? And they say, well, some say that you're Elijah, or you're John the Baptist, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he asked them more directly, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers for the group and he says, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. And Jesus answers and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. And upon this rock, faith that he is who he claims to be. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Keep that in mind. Jesus says, I will build my church. If you know Jesus, then you know he built a church. If you say you know Jesus, and you don't know that he built a church, then I would suggest you need to go back and study about Jesus again because he built a church. The word church, as it's used in the New Testament, describes all of those believers, all of those followers of Jesus Christ worldwide, but we also come to understand as we read through the Scriptures that those groups, people who were following Jesus, came together in local areas and were known as churches, local groups. Paul wrote to the church of God, which is at Corinth. He wrote to the churches of Galatia. And so he mentions these. Now, before I go any further, I don't have all these passages up here, but if you would like to have a copy of those, There's an outline. I always put those in the back of the auditorium back there. Pick up one 
and all those passages are on there. Now, I say all that as kind of a lead-in to this. In America today, Pew Research has established that religiously, there are a lot of people that now are saying that they are unaffiliated. That group is now 6% greater than it was five years ago. It's 10% greater than it was 10 years ago. And so when people are asked, what religious group do you associate with? Which one are you affiliated with? More and more and more people are saying, none. Practically 30% of those who claim to believe in God now say that they have no religious affiliation. In fact, America, right? (laughs) We are known for being innovators, are we not? (laughs) And one of the terms, one of the phrases that is now being thrown around, bannered around within this country is, I'm spiritual, but I am not religious. Let me suggest to you, I am not being critical. (laughs) I'm just trying to be straightforward. That is an oxymoron. (laughs) You cannot truly be spiritual and not be religious. Because religion is taught on the pages of Scripture, old and new. Acts, the 25th chapter. The Apostle Paul, a Jew, a Pharisee, he said he lived according to the strictest sect of his religion. He had been taught religion. James, over in James, the first chapter, he says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So as we read through the New Testament, what we come to understand is very simply this in a phrase about religion. Religion acknowledges dependence. It recognizes dependence. Our salvation is dependent upon God. But religion also recognizes responsibility. Because we have salvation, we have responsibility. Let me tell you about Generation Z. You ever hear about these generations? Generation Z. That's the 18 to 29 year old group. In that group, 55% would say that they believe in God. Generation Y, the millennials, 30 to 49 years old, 62% of that group say they believe in God. Generation X, 50 to 64, 74% say they believe in God. The baby boomers, whoop, whoop. Seventy-seven percent say they believe in God. If you look at that, isn't it interesting that that youngest group 
is also the lowest amount that believe in God. When you're that age, you think you're invincible, don't you? But when you get a little older, you realize you're not invincible. And belief in God goes up. So now within America, according to Pew Research, approximately 81% would say they believe in God. But out of that 81%, you have 30% that are saying that they are not religiously affiliated. And now they are known, so they have been given a name so they can put them in a category. They are the religious nuns. That's where I came up with that term, Cameron. They are known as the religious nuns. When they are asked, what do you, who do you associate with? They said, none. Even as I was growing up, just a few years ago, 50 or so, if you ask someone, are you associated, affiliated with a religious group? The answer was always yes. It doesn't matter whether it was Catholic or Baptist or Christian or whatever. They would, they would associate, they would affiliate themselves, they would recognize, identify with somebody. And now the fastest growing group in the United States is not Christian, not Muslim, not Catholic. The fastest growing group is the religious nuns. That's not God's plan. So, that does help us to kind of understand the climate in America today. So when you dig a little deeper and you ask people why, why are you not affiliated, associated with a particular group, there comes up with all kinds of answers. Some will say, well, when I was young, I was just forced to go. So what they learned was church, but they never really came to know Christ. Some would say, there's so much confusion. And I would say, I understand. Some will tell you they had a bad experience. Unfortunately, that happens. And so people decouple. They become unaffiliated. And they come into this, I still believe in God, but I'm not associating with anybody. And they come up with terms like, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And what I'm saying is, that's not the way God planned for it to be. He never said that one of these days we'll have the religious nuns. So my point in all that, to move a little closer, is just very simply this. When you read the data, and you hear people say they believe in God, but they don't want to associate, what's that tell you? Well, it can tell you something about maybe the groups they've had contact with in the past. But it also tells you something else. I believe it tells you this. There's still a spiritual hunger that is there. They still want to connect with God. They just don't really know how. 
So I was reading about this man that was in his 50s that identified with the religious nuns. And he said that when he was like 18 to 20 years old, when he went off to college, he pretty much stopped going to church worship. And then as he got just a little bit older and he got married and his wife talked about this, they decided that their approach was going to be with their children, they would not try to force them. They wouldn't even really direct them. It was just kind of their choice at some point to decide whether or not they wanted to have anything to do with religion. But he said, much to his surprise, at around the same age that he disconnected, when they reached that age, they started asking questions. They started having conversations with their parents and asking them, what do you think? Because they'd been to college. (laughs) They said, where where did we come from? (laughs) I want to hear it, Mom. I want to hear it, Dad. Where did we come from? Is evolution really the only answer? And if evolution is true, does my life really have any meaning? If we all just evolved, what's the difference between me and a goldfish? (laughs) Does my life matter? Do I have any purpose? In this cosmic expanse that we live in, does it matter whether or not I'm even here? And the father said he was shocked. But he said he was also scared. And he said, why are you asking, does your life matter? Of course your life matters. Yes, there's purpose to life. You need to go to church. (laughs) I added that last part. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Suddenly, the illustration's accurate. That's true. (laughs) He's realizing, look at the questions, look at the thought process that they are having. And so where do you find, where do you find that life has meaning? Where do you find that life has purpose? And now he realized that his kids were going to be drawn to the very religious institutions that he had given up on. You know what they had? Oh, some might say, oh, they have a curiosity. That's good. I think there's another way to put that. They have a spiritual hunger is what they have. And where are you going to find answers to spiritual questions?
where would they go to talk to others that have those same kinds of questions? Seeking those same kinds of answers. So let me pause for one second. Are you there? Do you know somebody who's there and that's looking for answers? And if they are, where would you send them to get those answers? I want to ask you another question. So look around. Not just in this room. In the world, in our society, in the things that are going on. And let me ask you this question. Are you happy with the things, the way things are going politically? Is there anybody that's happy with that? I don't think so. So let me ask you this. Are you happy when we talk about racial tensions? Is anybody happy with that? I don't think anybody's happy with that. The kinds of things that elementary kids are being taught in school now, are you happy with that? I don't think anybody's happy with that. Well, there might be some of that. (laughs) But I clearly think the majority is not happy with that. So you look around. And we ask, are you happy with the current conditions? And I think the majority, when you have a chance to talk one-on-one, they'll go, no, I ain't happy. This is a mess. Well, let me tell you what somebody a whole lot smarter than me said. (laughs) His name was Omar Bradley. You ever heard of him? He was one of the few that ever reached that level He was a five-star general. In one of his speeches, he said, ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know, we know more about war than we know about peace. He said, we know more about killing than we know about living. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. Mankind has unlocked the mysteries of the atom and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. Is it true? I think he was right. And so now we look around within our country, within our society, within the world, And we ask this question. What is wrong? What is wrong with this world? But let me take it a step further, okay? Do you know anybody that's fanatical about their health? 
they run or they exercise, they eat just right, they get enough sleep, it's like they're into it. And sometimes you look at folks like that and you say, do you think you're going to live forever? (laughs) And you know what Paul says? Bodily exercise, 1 Timothy 4. Bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is great gain for all things. What's he saying? You're just passing through. The real focus is not wrong <laughs> to try to stay healthy, but the real focus, one day you'll step into eternity. Do you know anybody that's really into their job? That's really into their career? And that's just all they want to think about, all they want to talk about. (laughs) You know what Paul said about that? You brought nothing into this world. And it is certain you will carry nothing out. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Could it be that all this stuff that's going on, could it be that it's signs of spiritual hunger? Acts the 17th chapter, Paul's famous sermon, speech from Mars Hill in the city of Athens. He said he has made from one blood all men to dwell on the face of the earth. What's that tell you? We're all one. Christianity teaches the brotherhood of man. You think we need to be reminded of that? Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Think we could use that lesson today? So where are you going to go to find spiritual answers to spiritual questions? You know what Jesus said? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think these are all signs of spiritual hunger. Maybe in some cases it's a sign of starvation. <laughs> so why should people choose Jesus? Why should they choose Christianity? Why should they choose to be associated, affiliated with a local group of people who are following Jesus Christ? Why leave the nuns and become a part of the saints? I want you to think about this. Creation and sin. Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
So if you continue reading in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, by the time you get to verse about 26 and 27, it's when God has created everything else and then finally on that sixth day he creates man and woman, male and female, in his image. So creation is complete. And then in verse 31 it says that God looked at all that he had made And he said it was very good. Not just good. It was very good. So think about it a minute. Here's creation. There's light. Separation of the waters. Appearing of the dry ground. Plants, animals, birds, Fish. Creepy things. <laughs> Finally man. He says it's very good. So let me ask you. You think the sun, the moon, the stars is okay? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> the mountain, the river, the trees, the oceans? Yeah, that's good, that's good too. Fish? Elephants? Flies? Bzz, all good, right? Man and woman. Good. Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. And here's man, created in God's image. Psalms 19, verse 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. What's that telling you about God's word? Make the simple wise. It'll guide you, direct you. His law will make your heart to rejoice. So now we begin. You thought I already began, but now we're going to begin. <laughs> so you come home in the evening and you turn on the evening news. The reporter is talking about What's going on in the local schools? It ain't good. And he's talking about drugs and he's talking about bullying and you kind of shake your head. And then that story's followed up about how a mob ran into a store, knocked over the security guard, busted into the cases, took stuff off the shelves and ran out. And I think about Ecclesiastes 8. Men are given to do evil when they are not swiftly brought to justice. You know what he's saying? (laughs) That just emboldens them to do more. And so that story is followed about how some terrorists 
invaded the neighboring area, <laughs> parachuted in and paraglided in. They had a music festival and they slaughtered all kinds of people. So those people, and they started firing rockets into that area. And we look at all of that and we think, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be that way. So I'm going to ask you once again. Genesis 1 and verse 31. It says that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Let me ask you, have the mountains changed? Have the trees, the rivers, the oceans, the fish, the birds, the elephants, the creeping things, have they changed? Who changed? So we've all been to school, right? And we've all heard the story, right? You know the story? How we got here? That story? It was that big bang. Remember that? And then after that big bang, I don't know exactly what happened, but it was a long time. Millions, maybe billions of years. And something happened and then there was life. And then... And there came more life, and there were some little creeping things, and there was the, and then finally there was man and woman. <laughs> it's an amazing story, isn't it? But that's the story. And they will tell you that it's a mathematical miracle that we're here at all, and that somehow humans came out on the top of the heap. And then they will tell you. As far as life is concerned, it's always been a battle. It's always been a struggle. And the strong survive. So I just turn off the TV and go to dinner. And I think to myself, that stuff going on over there and them people shooting and killing and bombing each other, Strong will survive. We'll just wait and see who wins, right? That's the way it's always been. So why get upset now? I'll tell you this. I think most people have a different feeling about that. And I think most people will still admit, say to you, that they believe that the world... is mostly good. And that evil is the aberration. So how do we explain this world? How about that semi-textbook answer I just gave you? (laughs) Does that answer this world? 
I'm going to tell you something. Science can explain the laws of nature, but science cannot explain relationships. Ask the smartest scientist you know, how does science explain love? I don't know. I've been looking in this microscope a long time. How does science explain hate? I don't know. I haven't found that yet. So where do you go for the answers? You got to go someplace else. And so Genesis 1 and 2 tells us how we got here. And at the end of chapter 1, it says that God saw all that He had made and it was very good. So let me ask you. Have you ever ridden to the top of a snow-capped mountain in a ski lift? And you look out over the mountains and the valleys and stuff and you can see the trees that are just flocked with snow. And the sky is so brilliantly blue. And that whole scenery almost takes your breath away. And you say, this world is something. (laughs) This world is something. Have you ever driven by... A playground in the middle of the day, a school, and kids are out there running around and giggling and laughing and just having a good time, and it just kind of makes you smile. Have you ever seen a mother hold a newborn child and see the love in her eyes? And as that baby lies there asleep, the peace on his face. And you think about all these things and you go, now that. That's the way life's supposed to be. That's the way life's supposed to be. So this is where the Bible comes in. And this is where the Bible is painfully honest. See, because you know what follows Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? Genesis 3. Now Genesis 3, just to summarize what happens is Satan comes into the garden and he tempts first Eve and then Adam. And he gets them to eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Eve even tells him, we're not supposed to eat that tree. And Satan says, don't worry about it. You won't die. Because the Lord knows, God knows in the day that you eat of it, you, your eyes will be opened. And you will know good and evil. You know what he just said? You don't need God to determine what's good and what's evil. Just eat of that tree 
And then you will know and you can live life without God. See what he did? So we asked, how'd that turn out? So Romans, the fifth chapter. Paul says, by one man, sin entered into the world and death spread to all men because all men sin. See that? When they ate, when they transgressed God's law, they were separated from Him, put out of the garden, put out of paradise, and now you are out there on your own. And Paul says, we've all done the very same thing. We make decisions without God on our own. And he says, death spread to all men. Look around at the world. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Genesis 1 and verse 1. What does it say? It says, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. You notice anything missing? I mean, we have no. Says. <laughs> Think about it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the thing that is missing is hell. It ain't there. <coughs> So whatever hell is, whatever the Bible reveals to us about that, that comes later. That's what makes the story of the Bible stand out. Because the Bible tells us the problem isn't just out there with those bad people. The problem's in here with each and every one of us when we decide to make choices and decisions on our own. We're all broken to some degree. Some more than others. But it's like this. Isaiah 59 and verse 1 and 2. Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. Jeremiah 10 and verse 23. Oh Lord, we know that it is not in man to direct his own footsteps. We need help. James 1 and verse 17. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation, neither shifting of shadow. 
Every good and perfect gift comes from God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9. When Jesus returns with his angels in vengeance, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of his son. And they will be destroyed with everlasting punishment from his presence. Did the Bible just tell you what hell is? When you are eternally separated from God. When you are eternally separated from every good thing. His influence is no longer there. And you're wholly given over to that. Do you know what Genesis is telling us about what happened with Adam and Eve? And what Paul is telling us that each one of us do when we make choices on our own? You know what that's saying? That every time we do that, we're unleashing a little bit of hell on each other. And so when those folks flew into that area and they started slaughtering people, they were unleashing bits of hell on those people. And now you know what those people are going to do? They're going to unleash hell on them. Is that the answer? How do we fix it? It's a spiritual problem. It needs a spiritual answer. So quickly. Genesis 12. God calls Abraham. And he says, I'm going to bless you that through you I might bless all all nations. It was through Abraham's descendants that he was going to bring one into the world to bless all people. Paul said it this way in Galatians, the third chapter, in verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. Oh, God wanted to use the nation of Israel to try to be an example to the other nations about what people, God's people, should live like under His law and His guidance. But He had promised it was always going to be that one that was going to come into the world, and He would bring the blessing to the world. And so we look at Jesus. And Peter says that he has left us as an example, 1 Peter 2, that we should walk in his footsteps. Do you want fairness and justice? Look at Jesus. 
Do you long for community where others are sharing that? Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Do you wonder about healing? He brings it. Do you wonder about purpose? Join following him. Let me tell you about that story quickly. Jesus, that story's true. There is not a reputable scholar, listen to me what I'm telling you, there is not a reputable reputable scholar that will not admit that Jesus was a historical character. They will tell you, yes, he lived. He's a historical character. That's a fact. And they will tell you, yes, he started a movement. That's a fact. And he created such a stir in that day and in that time that they finally decided they needed to get rid of him. They needed to kill him. And that's a fact too. That's a fact too. But here's the question. Why'd they kill him? A guy like that? Why'd they kill him? Did they kill him because he taught the golden rule? You know, you should do it to others as they've done you. <laughs> well, let's kill him. <laughs> That's not why they killed him. You know why they killed him? Because he claimed to be God. And he did only things that God can do. And then he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Let me ask you this. Why is that so scary? The reason why that's so scary is because if that's true, then what he said was true. And that part threatened the religious leaders. That part threatened the political leaders. You know why? Because that threatens their power. Do you think Jesus, Jesus, Not somebody just saying his name, but taking his word with him to Washington, D.C. Do you think he would be welcomed in that city? No. Because that would threaten the religious leaders. That would threaten the political leaders. They don't want that. The political and religious leaders of that day didn't want it either. So they put Jesus to death. But the funny thing happened. That grave couldn't hold him. And he came forth. And those who saw him, they went everywhere telling others. And you know what that did? That launched a movement. It's called his church.
The church is His body. And it exists because He came, He lived, He died, and He rose again. And Paul says over in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15 that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We now hold forth that truth. Spiritual answers to satisfy a spiritual hunger that Jesus said, I will build my church. And he wants everybody to be a part of it. And he wants us to organize on local levels to encourage, support, edify each other. So Paul says, by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. It's through faith in who Jesus is. It's through confessing Him as Lord. It's through repenting that we've been going the wrong way and we need to come back and follow Him. It's being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins into that one body and then holding forth that truth and that life. Leave the nuns and join the connect. I extend the invitation now. In here and all that are here, if you've never rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Can we help you in any way to make your relationship right with the Lord? You let us know while together we stand and while we sing.